Well, good morning, everyone. Good to be here. My name is Resville. I'm the director of New Life CDC. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. One of the ushers could get you one. Um, you're also going to need this sheet that's going to be helpful for you today. It's a sheet that we've been working on the past couple of weeks. Or if you need something to write with, you can also raise your hand, and um, one of the ushers can come bring you a, a pencil. Um, we've been in a series about the power of the rule of life. The title of the talk is Working for the Exclusion and Empowerment of the Poor, Acts 6, verses 1 to 10. And I know that's an interesting title. We'll impact that in a few moments. But how we've defined uh, the rule of life is that a rule of life is a structure or a rhythm for our lives that enables us to pay attention to God, to keep God in the center in everything that we do. And this sheet of paper will be helpful in establishing that. In the past few weeks, we have been touching on uh, the different elements of that rule of life, prayer, rest, relationships. And today, we're going to look into work and how we unintentionally work for the exclusion of the poor. Let's pray. Father, um, my, my prayer is that um, we recognize this, this unwitting exclusion and that it be transformed by you to empowerment, Lord God, the empowerment of the poor, that our work may reflect your heart. That's what we pray today. Speak to us, we ask. This time is yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as we work in this world, we work toward greater profits, which is natural, greater growth, and we produce a lot of goods and services in this global economy, and that economy has actually produced something new that I read about in the New York Times, and it's called McRefugees. Not a sandwich, but rather a people group. They are China's new homeless who sleep in 24-hour McDonald's because the shelters in some cities in China have a 10-day limit, and so they sleep in these 24-hour restaurants. And what these individuals do is they wake up to the smell of breakfast. They literally comb their hairs with plastic, comb, with plastic forks, and then they make their way back out onto the streets. And so it's just another class of invisible people getting discarded to the margins amidst the work of the world amidst this economic growth. And just, just look at these pics. It just, it's such a telling picture of the exclusion of the economically poor as the world works. What's interesting is that if, when we get to Acts 6 in a few moments, the same type of exclusion was actually happening among the apostles in Scripture. The, the apostles were working for God, there was growth, and then there was exclusion that was taking place. We'll look at that in a few moments. What's unfortunate is that the exclusion of the poor actually creeps into our daily lives as well. And it creeps in through the influence of the pursuit of the American dream. So let me explain that for a moment. Simply define the American dream as, as prosperity, prosperity through work. Have you guys ever chased after this dream? I know I have, especially as an immigrant family. Prosperity through work. If you haven't chased after it, maybe your parents have, or maybe you've been tempted or influenced by it. I know my parents did, or maybe if not your parents, maybe grandparents, or maybe great-grandparents as they came to this country. 
But let's, let's, let's evaluate this dream that so influences us in our culture. The first is that, you know, these are some of the pictures that come up when I uh, do a simple search. So there's the house, the car, the garage, uh, cash, family, fame, success. And again, hear my heart. There's nothing wrong with providing for your family, working for a house, working for money so you can provide. There's nothing wrong with that. And the, the goal of, of the American dream is prosperity for you and your family. But here's, here's where it goes off. It's when it becomes financial prosperity for you and your family only. And then what happens is just, just look at these pictures and, and note what's missing in these pictures. What's missing in this picture of the American dream? There is no mention of the poor. There is no room for the poor. There's no room for the compassion for, building relationships with, learning from the poor. It's missing. And so the pursuit of the American dream has no room for it. It has no room for the exclusion of the poor, much less the empowerment of the poor. And this is what influences us here in the U.S. But see the contrast between that and the heart of God because our culture may exclude the poor, but God, God chooses them. God chooses them. The Bible says that he chooses the weak, the lowly, the oppressed, the despised, things that people that we don't even want to touch, he chooses. And so the people that our culture might exclude, our God would choose. The people that our culture exclude, our God empowers. The beautiful thing before us is that we, if we reorder our lives, and the rule of life is helpful in that, if we reorder our work lives to align with his heart and whom he chooses, we have an opportunity to align our work with what God does and see the kingdom of God come to life. And so here in the U.S., whether we like it or not, we're part, we're part of this system that's so influenced by profits and growth that we can easily produce refugees and exclude the poor as collateral damage. And so if we don't center around God, we will un unwittingly be complicit and buy into this system that has no room for the poor. And just think for a second, just... Every 4th of July, we celebrate the ideals of the founding fathers of our nation, right? Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. And again, nothing intrinsically evil with those things. But what it translates into is that it's a, it's a pursuit of prosperity, and the pursuit of prosperity has no use for the poor. I make it awesome. You don't, too bad. But think for a second, what if it was different? What if it was life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, and the empowerment of the vulnerable? We would have a totally different ethos, a, a, a driving spirit in our country and in our culture. And so the question today is, what are the things that we're working for? What are the things that you're working for? And how does your current work, your current industry either exclude or empower the poor. And may God speak to us. And then what can we learn from Scripture so that in our work we don't exclude, but rather we empower the vulnerable? And so we ask God to speak to us. Let's go to Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 10. 
Uh, this is in the message translation. It reads, during this time, this is the early church taking place, as the disciples were increasing in numbers by leaps and bounds, hard feelings developed among the Greek-speaking believers, the Hellenists. So there was growth taking place. Apostles were preaching and teaching. And there was prejudice that was taking place toward the Hebrew-speaking believers because their widows were being discriminated against in the daily food lines. So the 12 called a meeting of the disciples. They said, it wouldn't be right for us to abandon our responsibilities for preaching and teaching the word of God to help with the care of the poor. So friends, here's the empowerment part. Choose seven men from among you whom everyone trusts, men full of the Holy Spirit and good sense, and we'll assign them this task. And then it reads on. Meanwhile, we'll stick to our assigned task of prayer and speaking God's word. The congregation responds, thought this was a great idea. They went ahead and chose. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. And then they presented them to the apostles. And what do the apostles do? Here we go. Praying, the apostles laid hands and commissioned them for their work. The word, the word of God prospered. And so it's, it's, it's an example of work that mistakenly excludes the poor, isn't it? So if the apostles had a rule of life under the work portion, it would probably read, preach the word, teach the word, baptize. And that's what they were doing. By the grace of God, there was, there was growth. And then there was conflict in the early church. And if there was conflict in the early church, might it be possible that, that may, there, there might be conflict and exclusion in our context as well? And so there was conflict within the early church in the food distribution um, and care for the poor. And I appreciate uh, the program heads of New Life CDC like Jeff and Dave. There is conflict in engagement with those who are excluded. There is. It happens. It was in the early church. But there was prejudice in the church. And the population that was getting discriminated against were the Greek-speaking believers. In a Hebrew-dominated culture. And the most vulnerable among the Greek-speaking believers were the widows, and they were getting excluded. And it's just so interesting to me that here the apostles are doing the work of God, and there's this exclusion that's taking place, and it happens. The key is that may God reveal to us where it's happening in our own context. So for me, in, in my personal life, I, I faced this exclusion um, firsthand by watching my older brother. We grew up in the Philippines. Um, my older brother, smart guy, uh, got into the top high school in the nation in the Philippines. We come here. He gets accepted to Stuyvesant High School, so he goes. And then he applies to Columbia University, and he gets accepted. Um, but I found out that after he got accepted that he couldn't go. And the reason why he couldn't go is, as you guessed it, we couldn't afford it. And so he was disqualified from a top-notch education because he was born into a family that couldn't pay up. There's something wrong with that. He was excluded. And that might be in the area of education, but it happens in other areas as well. And I remember when that took place, I remember thinking, isn't there somebody on Columbia staff that might be able to do something about this? And what I was really crying out for was somebody maybe with a rule of life in their work section had empower the poor. That could help my brother out. But he was excluded. And in other industries, this exclusion of the poor takes place as well. If you're in the building industry, you're part of a system 
that excludes the poor as well. Look, if you look along Queens Boulevard and the buildings that are going up and you ask them how much rents are or how much sale prices are, they are priced for families outside of this neighborhood. And so what happens is more affluent families move in and they, they, they displace the poor, they get excluded. It happens as well, this exclusion happens in the healthcare field where quality healthcare gets inaccessible to the poor. Or exclusion happens as well in the food industry, the restaurant industry, or in the clothing industries where workers are exploited. And if we don't pay attention, we're complicit with, the, with these industries. I know I was. And then with, as we chase the American dream where the end goal might be uh, greater profits, greater income, greater comfort, greater luxury, we can easily be complicit in the exclusion of the poor that produces refugees, because the pursuit of that dream has no use for the poor. They are not needed. And yet, the people that God might, the people that our culture might exclude, God chooses. God chooses. And so hear this: the the poor historically have been, and always will be, key players in the birthing and the expansion of the kingdom of God here on earth. In other words, we will, not, we will not experience the fullness of the kingdom of God here on earth without the participation and without the, dare I say, the leadership of the poor. And this choosing, this empowerment we see in Acts 6 in what the apostles did. If you, if you read through it in verses 1 to 10, so there was this exclusion that was taking place. And the great thing is that, first of all, they, there is no cover-up. They don't hide it. They acknowledge it. There was exclusion that was taking place. There were, there were those that were excluded, those that were vulnerable, that were, they, they were not getting their fair share. What would you do in that situation? Listen, if you heard that there was somebody who wasn't getting food, what would you do? You would give them food, wouldn't you? That's what I would do. Oh, that group doesn't have food? Give them food. But that's not what Peter and the apostles do. What they do is they recognize the capacity and the abilities in these ethnic minorities, and they empower them for leadership. That's very different. And what Peter says is that he says, you choose. You choose from among you. So they self-selected. He didn't say, let me choose who I want to empower. He says, you choose from among you. And they chose among those that were excluded. And we know because these names, these names were all Greek names. Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas. And so the apostles didn't just appease the disgruntled poor. They empowered them as leaders. The excluded were empowered. And so in your work, how might you empower those that are excluded? May God speak to us this morning. And, and hear, hear the heart of God. Hear the heart of God in 1 Corinthians 1. This is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Hashtag below average. Not many of you were influential. Hashtag nameless nobody. Not many of you were of noble birth, hashtag poor. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, 
God shows the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God shows the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. What was happening there? God was empowering the poor to face the oppression that they were facing in that context. Why? It says, so that no one, way, so that no one may boast. In other words, so that the work of God will be made manifest. He chooses those that we don't, wouldn't even touch. And he says, look what I can do. Watch what I can do. You, you know, I, I come across magazines like this, and it's, they're so just juicy to read, right? 400 richest people, you know? What if there was a magazine that had the 400 poorest people? Who would, who would buy that magazine? It wouldn't sell. That's why they don't print it. But you know who would flip through that magazine? God would. He would flip through those pages, look, look at those names and faces, call them by name, empower them. He would choose them. And then if you go back to that, those, that passage, it says that the apostles laid hands on them and empowered them. It, it's such a great reflection for me. It caused me to ask, when was the last time I touched the excluded physically? And how often do I do it? Empowerment came through touch. That's significant. It's significant. And the greatest empowerment story is something even more intimate than touch. It's when Jesus died on the cross, he rose from the grave, and he breathed. Imagine somebody breathing on you. He breathed on the apostles, and he breathes on us as well, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit of God. He destines your heart to be the home of the Holy Spirit of God. And it's by that sign that we're called the sons and daughters of God. The reason why that's really significant is because it's impossible for God to exclude his children. So he breathes on you. He calls you son, daughter. It's impossible for him to exclude you. And then if that's not enough, in John 14, he says, greater works you will do than these because I go to the Father. And so he sends his Holy Spirit. And what he's saying is that he is, he's empowering you to be able to do his work here on earth to be his hands and feet, his mouthpiece and his heart. He empowers us. And that gospel message is so central because there are some of you here, you're saying, I'm, I'm the excluded. I'm not in a position of authority. I'm excluded. I'm part of those on the margins of our culture. And recognize that that gospel message is so empowering. Because he chooses those on the margins of our culture to do his work. And what he says, I had to get over this as somebody who is undocumented for many years. I had to get over it. Recognize that if you're in that group and you think, first of all, if you think that you've been abandoned and you're a follower of God and you've been excluded, recognize that you've been deceived, my friend. It's impossible for him to exclude you. The Holy Spirit of God is inside you. You are called his son and his daughter. But for you, if you're on the margins of our culture, recognize that your dreams are potential blueprints for his work. It takes a while to overcome that and to recognize that. And so if you're not, if you're not convinced that 
the empowerment of the poor is such a beautiful thing. Just, just consider for a moment how that empowerment has taken place in, in my own life. And many of you know my story and how we came out of poverty here in Queens and um, how my brother was excluded and fortunately uh, I was empowered. And I have three Peters to thank for that. And may these stories be examples and models for us and how we can empower those who are excluded in our culture. The first is Peter the Apostle. How Peter's empowerment of the excluded ethnic minority led to Stephen in leadership and it led to an expansion of the church. And it's because of that expansion of the, the church that we're actually here today in this room. I'm thankful for him. The second Peter is this guy who lived in the 1800s. Peter Cooper, who founded the school that I went to, the college that I went to. He grew up as part of the working class, poor working class in the 1800s, no formal schooling, became a successful business owner. And once he tasted that success, he did not see profit for profit's sake as the goal of his business. And if you read his writings, you will see that. He said that the object of business is to make money in an honorable manner. The object of life is to do good. And so it was in the Industrial Revolution that he lived. His businesses began to generate millions. And at a time period where there were many who were amassing huge personal fortunes, his vision was different. His vision was to elevate the working class. That was his vision. There's no mention of that in the American dream. And yet I would guess that if I took a look at his rule of life, I would see that in the work portion of his piece of paper. And then so what he does is he starts a project with the millions of dollars that he begins to generate, and he starts a project. He begins to use his resources. Many of us may not be millionaires, but he uses resources toward the empowerment of those that are excluded. So he starts a project. Why? He starts a college. And the reason why is because the colleges of that day were catering to young men only, to the upper classes only. And so what he does is when he starts the college, he admits blacks, women, and Jews. And what he does is he even writes about this school. Uh, that's Cooper Union to the left. He writes, it's the ardent wish of my heart that this school may be the means of raising competence and comfort to thousands of those that might struggle through a life of poverty. That's why he started. And just, obviously I'm a fan of this guy and when I read some of the things that he wrote about, you could see that he was doing God's work. For him, it was full-time ministry. He wasn't a pastor or preacher, but he was doing God's work as he sought to elevate the working class. And it's no wonder that he's named after Peter the Apostle. And it's because of Peter Cooper that I was empowered. My brother was excluded. I was empowered. And this is 100 years later. 100. This guy doesn't know me. And I love the fact that when you do the work of empowering the poor, it can have these far-reaching ripple effects that furthers the will of God, and you don't even know it. You don't even know it. It's almost like you do it, God takes over. And he births and expands the kingdom of God here on earth. 
no idea who I am, and here I am, the beneficiary of that word. The third Peter is um, uh, Piscazero. So I was really, I was drawn to New Life uh, when I heard about it, because um, I heard about this white dude, Italian-American, that was, that was installing these immigrant uh, elders over him. And I recognize when you're a founder, you hold a lot of authority, but to be able to do that was uh, unheard of for me. And so it was, it was a curiosity for me. And you gotta understand where I come from. I come from a country with centuries of white oppression. And so for this dude to be able to install immigrants in this elder capacity was interesting. And so when I came and I visited, I looked at the bulletin and I saw that the names of the elders were written. And so I read their last names because I just wanted to see if there were immigrant last names. And there were, to my surprise. And it's because, and we're the beneficiaries of that as well, he, he did value this empowerment of the immigrant. And I'm the executive director now of New Life CDC, but before I came in, they were, they were interviewing people, and there were a lot more people that were more qualified than I was. But they took a risk, and they brought me in. And hopefully it works out. And so those three, those three Peters, really great, really great examples of how God might inspire us to be able to empower those who are excluded. And so at this point, take out, um, let's have a prayerful moment and take out that sheet of paper if you would. Again, if you don't have that sheet of paper with a rule of life, please raise your hand and one of the ushers can get you one. There are four quadrants there, prayer, rest, relationships, work today. We focus on work. And let me give you three, three applications. There's a hand raised over here. There's another one over here, ushers. Raise your hands high so they can see you. Let me give you three applications that affect the mind, the heart, and then the actual work. So three applications that affect the mind, the heart, and the actual work. So an application of the mind. First, recognize that no matter what industry you're in, education, finance, media, government, whatever it is, you are called to full-time ministry. You do not need to be a pastor or preacher to be able to empower those who are excluded. And as that sheet of paper is before you, let this be a prayerful moment. God, how are you speaking to us to reflect your heart in our work? Peter Cooper was not a pastor or preacher. He was, he was in corporate America, and he sought the empowerment of the poor. The second is really significant. It's a posture of the heart, because God chooses those that are included. This is... This is something that I'm learning as well. And this is very easy to do. You see somebody who might be a homeless individual or somebody in need, and sometimes the first reaction is to be able to give them food, um, give them cash. And if the Lord is leading you to do that, uh, obey. But here's, here's something really significant, and it's a posture of the heart that needs to shift. If you begin to simply see the poor, the excluded, as people to be helped, there's something missing. 
you miss the heart of God. And so there's a posture of the heart that needs to take place so that when you're coming across face-to-face -face, somebody who might be excluded, recognize that they are God's potential candidate to birth and to expand his kingdom here on earth. They are, because they're made in the image of God, they have the capacity to be able to do his work here on earth. That's very significant. And this, these are some of the ways that I do it practically speaking. When I come across an individual, I don't go for the needs right away. I get to know them as a person. And here's a central question, really a question that I enjoy asking. What are your dreams? When you ask that question, number one, it presupposes that you're making time for that, you're making time for that individual, which is empowering as well. What are your dreams? Because now I'm looking for something to cheerlead. And now I'm looking for the capacity to be able to lead and birth the kingdom of God here on earth. And I look out for dreams. And I'll, I'll hit these beautiful dreams. And when these guys or, or women tell me their dreams, I recognize that that's a potential blueprint for the work of God in their life. It's a very different posture than wanting to simply help an individual. Do you hear that difference? It's like you come in as a cheerleader. And so that's a posture of the heart that's really critical. The third is now a really prayerful question that needs to ask, how, how might we, we reorder the way that we work and what we work for to empower those who are excluded? For you, that excluded person um, might be a failing student. It might be a poor coworker, a poor client or the undocumented around you? How might God be calling you? And a very easy first question, what are your dreams? And be a cheerleader for what you hear. For us, here at New Life CDC, we're, we're learning this as well. And so that's why we launched Success Groups, which is a project that seeks to empower low-income families to rise out of poverty, where we put them in the driver's seat of their own financial futures. It's the first time we're doing this. Enrollment actually begins. If you or someone you know is interested in this, there's an info session today at 2 o'clock in the mezzanine conference room. And also follow us at New Life CDC NYC so that we can learn together. Also, as we launch this, we're looking for a grant writer, Somebody bilingual, talk to me after the service if that's something that you or someone you know is interested in. But that's how we're living this out. And then some prayerful consideration as well. In what way might you give your time, your talent, your financial treasure as a means of empowering the poor? If something comes to you, write it down. And then just before I go into the last one, let me call the worship team up. This could be very overwhelming. Where do you start? But one thing I do as well is that I simply ask for one person. God, who is one person that I might touch? What is one person? Because in Matthew 25, it says, Whatever you do, it doesn't say whatever you do to the least of these, 
It says, whatever you do to one of these, you do unto me, Jesus said. Just one person. Who might that person be? And so again, let me just leave a few moments for you to write something down. How is God speaking to you? What might be God's invitation for you? And then let's stand together. opportunity we have to be able to align our work with the work of God here on earth. And so along those lines, let me just pray for you. We'll respond in song and then Rich is going to come up and close our time. So Father, we thank you, Lord God, for empowering us. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for choosing us in this room, Lord. And Father, sending us your Holy Spirit that we might be your home. Father, call us and invite us to God's laws are words align with your heart. Yes. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's put our hands together for Red who served us and taught us. And just really fantastic to hear uh, Red's heart, which really is a reflection of the heart of God uh, for us today. And as I was listening to uh, Red preach today, uh, two things were going through my mind. Number one was uh, it was a sense of like inspiration. Lord, I wanna, Lord, I what I wanna do something. And the other part of it was I was overwhelmed a bit because when you start talking about poverty and the poor, um, that's massive. That's not a small thing. That is a massive thing before us. And as I heard him, I thought about uh, what happened last week. Last week. As you know, there was a snowstorm. And I don't know about you, but my car was buried. Just buried. I mean, I had some of my neighbors. They were very happy that they didn't own cars. They were just smiling. They had no work to do. Some of you are smiling as well. But I, I looked out. I didn't go out the night before, but I said, I know where I parked a car. I wonder what the car looks like right now. So I walk out. I walked where I parked by Queens Boulevard, and there was an ocean of snow before my car. Okay, so not only couldn't I not see my car, there was an ocean of snow to even get to the car. How many know what I'm talking about? There, it's just like just I see that hand in the back there. And the first thing that went through my mind was I was just so overwhelmed. And I did. I had a shovel. Steve, one of our elders, lent me one of his like little shovels, and so I had a little shovel and an ocean of snow. And as I thought about it, I, I just was overwhelmed. And I, it's like I sensed God just speaking to me, not just about the snow, but about what life looks like when you're buried, when you're overwhelmed. And I felt God saying, just start somewhere. Just start somewhere. And I just started, little by little, just started shoveling. And Steve came along and later on today I called a couple of other neighbors and we just started shoveling and I as I as Red was preaching that's what I just heard God saying it could be overwhelming when you talk about the poor those that are economically financially on the margins oppressed in society what do you do you start somewhere you start somewhere and for some of you as you were hearing Red preach um, 
you sense maybe where God's calling you to start. And this is why, now it makes sense why we have a rule of life. Why that document is so important. The document, when you fill those things out, and this week I pray that you would fill it out prayerfully. The reason why we fill that document out is not just to say, uh, I wrote some things down. These, this is an, uh, a list of ideal things I'd love to do if I had the time to do it. Put it on the refrigerator and say, Lord, that was a wonderful opportunity to write things down. That's not why we do it. The, the rule of life is a prayer document. It is a discernment document. It is a living document. Which basically means as you, you, you wrote some things down, now our task is to come back to it and say, Lord, now how are you calling me in this area of my life to respond? In the area of prayer, Lord, what are you saying to me this week, this season, this month? This, what are you saying to me? Lord, in the area of my work, what are you saying to me? This is not just something we put on our refrigerator. This is a living document for the sermon and prayer that God would lead you in the way that God would call you to go. And so this week, as you think about your work, practicing financial generosity, a posture towards the poor, volunteering in our, in our, with our community development corporation, helping out a family members, whatever it might be, may our posture be that one of where hearing God's voice, discerning his movements, and this is why we have a rule of life, so that we would be led by the Spirit of God in our day-to-day and so as we close, I want to invite our prayer team to come to my left. We have the Lord's table to my right. We have some cake waiting for you downstairs, all right? Express lane right down there. You get the cake and all that there. I don't know of a better way to end the sermon than have some cake. But as we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. And just know that the hand of God is on you today. And God has empowered you bring good news to the poor. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you and may he fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, anointed by God to empower and serve the poor. May you experience God in a fresh way. May your heart be kindled or rekindled. May you go about the Father's work this week. And so I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the empowering name of Jesus. And the people of God said, amen. Grace and peace, everybody.